0: Well, good morning, everybody. It is so good to see all your faces. My name is Lacey, and I am part of the team here, and as Corey said in the beginning, if you are new or new-ish, we are so so honored that you are here, and I do hope that you will stop by the info bar on your way out because our guest services team has a gift for you. They would love to say hello and officially welcome you, and um, and just answer any questions you might have or connect you in whatever way you'd like to be connected. The other thing I want to let you know about is um, Christmas is coming. December is fast, right? Very fast. Um, So you have heard us talk about our Christmas Eve services, but I want to remind you that Christmas is the very best time to invite people to come to church. Like there has been research, like science actually says that Christmas is the best time to invite people to come to church because they are far more inclined to say yes to an invitation from you. So we have a service on Thursday the 22nd, and then we have three services on Christmas Eve, that Saturday, so christmasandrva.com, go register, bring your people with you, um, and it's gonna be a great time together. Now, we are in week seven of our Just Ask series, and this is a series where we are focused on prayer. And, um, so if you are just jumping in today, uh, or maybe have missed just a couple of the messages, I encourage you to go back and listen to the messages that you might have missed in this series. Um, not just because I don't want anyone to miss out on anything ever, this is true. However, I really do believe that this sermon series is a really important one for us as a church. Um, I was with the discipleship coaches a few weeks ago, and I was telling them, I don't always have the right words to explain what I'm thinking or feeling, but I typically have emotion. I have a lot of emotion, but I also have a motion. And so I was describing them the season that I feel like we're in as a church, and all I can do is I feel like it's like this. Like it's just this, and um, I feel that because it feels like God is stirring something, and he's doing a lot of really powerful things in people's lives. Um, But I also think that prayer is this really crucial and highly critical piece that is going to allow us to step into what God is inviting us into as a church. And um, we have heard a lot of really inspiring things and convicting things over this um, last few weeks together. Um, I have been deeply, deeply convicted in so many ways, Um, but I'm also somebody that naturally, like, I just get convicted kind of easily, and I get inspired kind of easily, and even some of the stuff that we're going to talk about today, I started learning all about it, and I got excited, and John was like, oh my gosh, with the books that keep coming to our house, because I'm like, no, 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 we're going to, like, do this. And, um, but now, this part is a little bit harder, because now, like, we have to do it right? Like we've learned a lot, we've been challenged a lot, but it's like, what does it look like to really become people of prayer? What does it look like to become a person of prayer? And um, there is this quote that I heard that really kind of sums up the big idea for today. Um, It says, our appetite for the idea of prayer tends to be stronger than our stomachs for the actual experience of prayer, unfortunately. And I feel that on a real level. I love to read books on prayer and hear about all the amazing things that God is doing in people's lives through prayer and answering prayer and all of that. And I do have some great disciplines built in around prayer, and I have experienced seasons where I really, really love my prayer life. But I have also been in seasons where how I would describe my prayer life would be boring and frustrating and marked by laziness on my part. And this is an area where like I, I wanna grow. I don't wanna just stay. I don't wanna just like dip my toe in and then things feel comfortable. Like I wanna keep going in further. And so um, I want us. we're gonna pause uh, just for a few seconds, like 10 to 20 seconds. And I want you to come up with just think or write down a couple of words that come to mind when you think about your prayer life right now as it actually is okay so remove any judgment or shame it is not about that at all but I think it's important for us to be real with like where we're at so that we can kind of reset and look to where we're going so we're going to pause just for a couple seconds think about a couple words of how you would describe your pair life All right. So if we know where we're at, we got to figure out where we want to go. And to know that, we got to know what the point of prayer is. So the point of prayer is relationship. All right? So I'm going to say that again, you're going to repeat it back. The point of prayer is? Yeah. It's relationship with God. It's spending time with someone you love and with someone that loves you. And so I want you to think about the words that you wrote down. Are those relational words? And if they're not relational words, then we might have to reframe how we are viewing prayer and what lens we're looking at it through. Because it's really easy to view prayer through the lens of legalism, even if you wouldn't describe yourself as a legalistic person. It's easy to put prayer in a category of duty and obligation and something to check off our list because we just struggle to get there, but we know we should. And we really want to want to, but the like wanting to and doing it can be really, really hard. Um, When I think about some of the words that I would like to always be able to use to describe my prayer life, I think about the words delight and joy. And contentment and commitment and fidelity. I heard someone even describe their prayer life as wasting time with God because we waste time with people that we love. We don't count it as like there has to be this like purpose to it that we have to accomplish things and get on to the next part of our day. We can just freely be and be present. And so if prayer is about relationship, then we have to view it like that. And what does it take to have a healthy and loving and deep connected relationship? Um, There's this quote that I love that I used in a wedding a few weeks back. And it's um, from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He wrote it in a sermon to his niece on her wedding day. And it says, you are young and in love. And you think that your love will sustain your marriage. But it won't. Let your marriage sustain your love. So just like in any relationship, there are disciplines and rhythms and commitments that build that and that are the foundation of that. I see that in my marriage, in my friendships. My youth pastor growing up used to say that what you can't do by trying, you have to do by training. And I can't love John more and love him better by just trying harder. It's not going to work. I'm going to come to the end of myself. I can't love my friends better by just trying harder. It's what commitments, what sacrifices, what disciplines do I have in my everyday life that are going to train my heart to love them more. Now I am someone who actually thrives in disciplines and rhythms and routines, like I love them. But not because I am naturally good at them. I am naturally horrible at them. I just have come to learn that without them I will float away and I will just be lost and purposeless and I need that like grounding. So I'm always paying attention to other people's disciplines. And one thing that I have been so inspired by is marathon runners. So I have never run a marathon, nor do I have any desire to ever run a marathon. It's not even like a distant goal, like I don't want to do it, and I will never do it. However, there are so many things to learn about the whole situation surrounding marathons. Um, I had one of my good friends this year ran the Richmond Marathon, and so I had like a, a unique view of what it took to get to running the Richmond Marathon. I mean, Marathon Day is incredible. Like, they do this amazing thing. But what's even more incredible is the training that it takes to get there. Like, these people, they organize their whole lives around this big goal, right? And they are running and running and running, and there's, like, a plan of building up to it. They typically train with a grouping of people who are doing it together. They have a coach that's guiding them through the process. And then you get to race day, And um, there's a whole, whole grouping of people that are just cheering them on. And that is my role in marathons, okay? So I love to cheer people on. And so this year we went to cheer on uh, my friend, but we knew that we would see tons of people that we knew um, running. And so the first person that we saw comes to Hill City, and um, he was in like the fast group of people and like running really, really strong. And um, we were like, all right, there he is. We know all our other people are going to follow, but like, man, we've seen him in other races before. He's a really experienced runner. And then we would go to another stop. So stops like two and three, we saw, you know, we were like, okay, there he is. We know he's the first of our people that we know that's running, looking great, looking strong. And then we got to the fourth place. Um, That's at mile 21. I don't know if you guys have ever been to mile 21 of the marathon, but apparently like runners call it the gates of hell. And um, it is a war zone there, guys. I mean, we're there cheering and people are coming by and we're like, you can do it. And they're like, we don't think that they can do it. Honestly, like this is really bad. And, um, anyway, so, but we were waiting, we were waiting to see this first person in our stream of people that we knew. We saw the people that he had like been running with and they came and went and he was nowhere to be found. And then we kept like waiting and waiting and waiting. And finally he did show up and he was like running slowly, um, and was looking really tired. Um, and so anyway, we cheered him on, but the next day at church, I saw him and I was like, hey, like, how did you finish? Like, how, how was the experience? How do you feel? And he was like, whoa. He was like, I finished. But it was really, really painful. And I learned something about myself. And I was like, oh, yeah, what's that? And he goes, I cannot undertrain for a marathon. <laughs> like, you just can't do that. Um, and so there is this quote that, it, that I heard that reminded me of that. It says, in times of chaos, you don't rise to the occasion. You fall to the level of your training. So we all have disciplines and rhythms that shape our days. And how we spend our days is how we spend our lives, right? So the question is, are we training ourselves into the relationship with Jesus that we desire? Or are we distracted, disinterested, and trying to just power through? Because our rhythms reflect the orientation of our hearts. David, um, who is the author of many Psalms that we'll find in the Old Testament of our Bibles, and he's described as a man after God's own heart, okay? So like, this is like a prayer guy who is in deep relationship with God. In Psalm 16, 8, it says, I will set the Lord before me continuously. I will set the Lord before me continuously. So as I think about my life, I don't know that it's set up like that. It doesn't say that the Lord is before me continuously. He is. Like, he's always there. He's not going anywhere. But David is saying he had to make the choice and be intentional about setting the Lord before him. Another translation says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. So his life is built around that focus. And then we go to the New Testament And Paul, who's one of the authors of the New Testament and is writing letters to the church, he writes this in several places about prayer. In Romans 12, he says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. In 1 Thessalonians, he writes, rejoice always, pray continually. He's connecting it back to the Psalms. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In Philippians 4, 6, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So this is a really tall challenge. And if we're viewing this through the lens of rules or obligation... It's overwhelming and it's like soul crushing, right? But if we view it through the lens of relationship, oh, that sounds lovely. It sounds so freeing. Like we can be in constant connection with God. We have someone that's always there, that is always walking beside us, and it's always available. It is possible to live in a place of joyful thankfulness, and it's it's like joyfully invigorating to know that this can happen. And we know that this can happen because Jesus came here to show us what it looked like to live in constant relationship with God. And so we're going to look at Jesus' prayer life. Because if the goal is to live with Jesus and to live life Jesus, like Jesus, then John Mark Homer always says, then we have to adapt the lifestyle of Jesus. And so if we look at Jesus' prayer life. I, um, I classify it as um, his prayer life is a yes and situation because there is a flow and a freedom to Jesus' prayer life that is marked by relationship and not religion. Um, And so in the Gospels we see um, a lot of descriptions of what Jesus' prayer life looked like. And so I want to point out a few of those verses. In Mark it says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where He prayed. And then in Luke it says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. And prayed often withdrew then in mark again it says after leaving them he went up on a mountainside to pray then in matthew after he had dismissed them he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray jesus made space to pray like he was so intentional about it he did it all the time the disciples knew this about him they knew where to go off and and find him because they knew he'd be praying somewhere and they noticed what things that were different about his prayer life. And so they asked him, they're like, can you teach us how to pray? Like, we want to pray like you. And so um, Jesus responded with what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer. And if you were here a couple weeks ago, um, Shaq walked us through the Lord's Prayer. So we're not going to go line by line in it. It could be a sermon series all in itself. Um, But I do want to point out a couple of things to the Lord's Prayer um, in the way that Jesus taught us. So the first is, there is an actual rhythm to the way the prayer even flows. You know, there are two different versions in the Gospels on, um, on, of the Lord's prayer, and Jesus prayed more than twice. So guarantee, there are lots of different varieties that existed of this, but he shows us how to shape the rhythm of how we engage with God. And then another thing is, Jesus took he actually didn't write the Lord's Prayer. Like, he was copying it, okay? So this was one of the main three prayers that that the Jewish people would have recited all the time. So his disciples were really familiar with it, but Jesus also riffed a little bit. And um, he made the Lord's Prayer personal. And he was pointing out that God can be knowable. He shifted some of the wording so that they could understand that this is a relational prayer that we're saying. And then what's cool to notice about it, is that it is not an individualistic prayer. It is a prayer for a grouping of people. It is communal. It's our Father, which art in heaven. And so, um, so I think the Lord's Prayer is kind of the perfect view of the freedom and person, um, and like personal, personal relationship that Jesus had, as well as valuing the prayers of the people that he's prayed for his entire life. Um, and that's something that I didn't, was not really familiar with or didn't pay much attention to until recently, that Jesus prayed the sacred prayers of his people. He was praying multiple times a day at set times. He was praying familiar prayers, sacred, rhythmical prayers. And so I want to take a look at a few of the things that Jesus would have actually prayed because he did this all the time. One of the things that Jesus would have prayed all the time are the Psalms, which I referenced before. So the whole book of Psalms and our Bibles, that was like the Jewish prayer book. And so they would have recited these over and over and over again. And what happens when you recite things over and over and over again? It gets in you, right? And so even when Jesus is teaching he is often um, pointing back to the Psalms. He is quoting them, he is referencing them, and his audience, who also would have been part of the daily prayers all the time, would have recognized that. And it's super sad, maybe you have more holy things that you can relate this to, but when I think about something that I can liken this to, all I can think about is when there are um, like a funny or super weird awkward scenario happens and I just automatically link it back to an episode of The Office or Parks and Rec. Does that happen to you guys? Like, some, like I've watched those shows so many times that they're like ingrained in me and it's like the impulse that comes out and sometimes I'm, I've gotten concerned before because I'm like do I think they're my like real friends um, because of how much I reference stories about it? But that in a way better way would have been how the Jewish people like related to the Psalms and how they heard Jesus talking because what we're putting in and reciting and pre- they became their prayers. They weren't just reciting them. They became their prayers. And, um, and that, that was what came out. And that can be a really beautiful thing. Um, Another thing that they would have prayed all the time, John referenced a few weeks ago, it's called the Shema. And this is one of the staple prayers that it's really cool because ancient Israelites would have said this and Jewish people still recite it today. It's one of the most famous prayers in the Bible. And we first see it in Deuteronomy. And I'll repeat it again for you. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So this was essentially the Jewish Pledge of Allegiance. They would say this multiple times a day and reorient themselves back to God. They needed that constantly. I need that constantly. I'll like pray and then like wander off. And by noon, I need like a complete reset. Um, And you know, there were other scriptures and prayers that would have been part of the daily prayers and readings. um, But we know that they said these all the time. And again, what's cool is that Jesus and his followers, they were not Christians. They were Jewish. And so when Jesus came on the scene, they didn't say goodbye to their own traditions and faith and culture. They continued in the established rhythms of the Jewish people. And we see that in the early church as well. They continued this. So in Acts 2, we see the description of life in the early church. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And there are a couple ways that you can interpret um, this verse in regards to prayer. You can interpret it as um, they were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to their connection with God, to being in touch with the Holy Spirit, to being able to talk with Him, and yes. And you can interpret it as they were devoted to, add an S on that, to prayers. They were devoted to continuing to show up to meet together, to be involved in the life of their people and in temple life. And my guess is that this means both, because Jesus modeled the yes and. Um, They experienced the freedom of being able to connect with God all the time, and they experienced the discipline and the freedom that comes with that in training ourselves to be reoriented back to our relationship all the time. Um, Even beyond just the New Testament. The early church continued this on, and this is a cool part of our like faith history. Um, There is this document known as the first manual of Christian practice called the Didache, and it taught that the early church would pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day. So we see this still ingrained, and that would have been an assumed part of Christian life all up until the fall of the Roman Empire. So when the Roman Empire fell, then like culture blew up, everybody's rhythms were all over the place. And so the first monks kind of rose up in an effort to preserve this sacred way of life and this sacred rhythm that they had built around prayer. And so they preserved and developed these um, prayers more, you know, and they have developed into what a lot of tra- different traditions now even would use today in prayer books. Um, and again, this is not the tradition that I grew up in, in the saying recited prayers at certain times and all of that. Um, but as I have learned more, I have wondered, I'm like, man, am I, have I been like missing out on a really like special piece of prayer? Um, And I would like to experience that more. You know, nowadays you might have heard the terms, they're now referred to as like um, the daily office or praying the hours. But I like how Scott McKnight describes these kinds of prayers as praying with the church. Because that's what it actually is. When we are saying the Psalms and we are, when we are repeating the Lord's Prayer and praying at different times all throughout a day, we are joining and adding on to all of those that have come before us, all of those that are going to come after us, and people around the globe praying the same things and the same words. And there is a really powerful beauty to that. Um, like communion and these prayers are like the the oldest part of our faith that I do think it's really important for us to pay attention to and to hold on to. Um, Another cool thing about it is that Jesus, one of his prayers for us that's in the scripture is that his church would be one. And so praying These prayers together and saying scripture and all of that is a way that we as a whole church around the globe are united and part of an unceasing prayer as different people in different time zones jump in and pray. In Scott McKnight's book called Praying with the Church, uh, this is the way he described um, kind of the rhythm of prayer, and I love it. I'm going to read you the whole thing. It says, Jews at the time of Jesus measured time in a variety of ways, none of them by a clock. There were morning prayers and late afternoon prayers and evening prayers, each of which was tied somehow to the worship of the temple, at the temple. Time was not rooted simply in the economic system or in meal routines, but more fundamentally by the temple's worship. Imagine a clock that did not say 3 p.m., but afternoon sacrifice. But you and I today, in the 21st century, fall into the idea that time is something measured by a clock. When we get to work and when we end work, when we get up and when we go to bed, or perhaps we measure time by when we eat breakfast and eat lunch and dinner. We can too easily become time-clock humans or even meal-driven people by how our time is regulated. Is there another way? There is. That other way is to let the hours of prayer shape our days. The blessings of life that enter most deeply into our soul do not come by finding more free time or more leisure. Those blessings enter the soul when we let soul rhythms, the sacred rhythms of prayer, shape the structure of our day. So wouldn't it be amazing to be a part of a community of people where we let those rhythms of prayer and connection to God be what shape our day, be what determine where our focus is. We got a little taste of this when we went to Israel a few years ago, and we were there um, just a little longer than a week. And so we got to experience what the Sabbath was like there. And it was, Really, really cool. I remember being on the on the tour bus, and our guide, who was Jewish, pointed out to us. on a It was a Thursday afternoon, and like the streets were buzzing, like people were everywhere, shops were full, there was traffic, all that. Um, and he was explaining that everybody is out running all their errands and getting all the things done on their checklist because the next day they would have to prepare. And so they would have to start all the cooking, get ready, and all of that. And then at sundown on Friday, it is shut down. Like the whole place. And we're like, yeah, 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 it's going to be a slower pace. We got it. Um, but literally it shut down. Like you, there was, there were no stores open to go to. There were not things to do. We happened to be staying in a hotel and even all of the buttons on the elevator were already pushed because like they, there was not gonna be anybody to help um, or to like push the buttons and all of that. So anyway, it was wild, but it was so beautiful to see the way a whole culture like moved to the rhythm of their faith. And it was cool and then also a little bit frustrating because that is not the culture that we live in. Like it is not, however, God uses prayer, to create countercultural movements. He uses prayer to change us, and we change the culture that is around us. Because when we're connected with the one who sets the rhythms of our souls, we are then on mission with him, and we see everything differently. So you might be somebody that maybe these like rhythms of prayer, like maybe you have that established. You're like, yeah, I like, I pray scripture every morning and every night, and I pray a certain set thing over each meal, Um, but you might struggle with that like freedom piece and that connection to God to be able to just share and talk whenever and, um, and that like constant, that reminder that he's constantly there with you. Um, or you might be somebody like me where that part comes a little bit easier but like the set rhythms through a day where I am like reminded and build my life around refocusing so that I can view life through that lens, um, that is harder for me. So that is where I'm gonna be focusing um, this year on the, on the discipline of like praying those scriptures, and I keep dreaming what it would look like for a whole community to be organized around these rhythms. And, and what I think about is wouldn't God be so stoked? Like that would be awesome if we were excited to spend time with Him and did it and built in that commitment, um, I think people would notice, I think we'd be less anxious. I think that um, our kids would notice and really understand that we believe what we say we do. Um, I think a lot of really cool things would happen. I think we would be more united as a people. But these things don't happen when we learn about prayer or study prayer. Those are great things. But they happen when we experience prayer and when we know by discovery and experience and not just by head knowledge. So before we close out today, I do want you to take, we're going to take another um, couple seconds for you to think of a few words of how you would like to be able to describe your prayer life. So write it down, think about it, but just take, I don't know, 30 seconds or so to think about, like, what is the goal here? What are you after? What pieces might you be weaker in than others that you want to grow in? This is something that we all have to wrestle with. Because we got to take steps. Now it's time to put it into action. And John and I are talking about what does this look like for our family? What does this look like for us as a community? And so in the new year, you're going to hear about some prayer initiatives that like, we're all invited into and some different things that we're going to do as a church. But it's also important to just start. And to know that there's freedom. If you mess up, He's still there. So just start again. And so this morning, um, I want to challenge us all um, and give you a practical step that you can take. We know what the rhythms of the early church were. And so let's start there. Let's start saying the Lord's Prayer out loud every day. You can choose morning, at night, you could do both, say it by yourself or whoever you happen to be with, but just say the Lord's Prayer out loud. And let that start to inform the rhythm of our days. We're gonna give you a head start and we're gonna say it together this morning, okay? So we're gonna kick this thing off. Um, And if if you are new here and you're like, whoa, 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 lady, I'm just like checking this out, you totally do not have to say this with us, okay? But for those of you that want to pray and want to start this out, we're gonna say the Lord's Prayer together. So it's gonna be up on the screen. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power. And the glory forever and ever amen so we're going to close with a song called heaven's secrets and i want you to pay attention to the words that we are singing the things that we're saying are not words that are just describing what we know about god or what we learned about him the words we're saying are describing what it's like to experience him And to experience His love. It says, um, I can feel peace coming. I can see fear running. Your love, it just does something. It sets my feet to dancing. Because when we spend time in a loving relationship with God, it reframes how we view everything in life. And there's a freedom to dance. There's a freedom to be joyful and to look at life with trust and hope. And we can see fear and anxiety fading away because we're focused on the one who loves us. All right, so the band is going to lead us. You guys can go ahead and stand.